You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual Hey, everybody. Happy Tuesday or whenever you're getting around to listening to this week's Savage Lovecast. We're going to do something a little different with the top of the show. We're going to bring in my friend Tracy Cataldo, who is the associate producer of the Hump Film Festival, to have a little talk about Hump, my amateur porn film festival, and how you can enter it and be a part of it. We're doing this in part because Nancy Hartunian, producer of the podcast, is on vacation this week, so we weren't able to record a timely intro to this week's show. So for this week's intro, top of this week's show, me and Tracy in conversation about hump. I'd like you to meet Tracy. She is one of the few women in the world who can say that she's had sex in my bed. Oh my God. Welcome to the show. You weren't going to say that. Hi, everyone. <laughs> Would you like to tell people about that time you had sex in my bed? Nope. Okay, well, we'll leave that to your imaginations then. <laughs> Tracy Cataldo is the associate producer, executive producer? Associate producer. Associate producer of Hump, which you've heard me describe a million times as my amateur porn short film festival. And it sounds when I talk about it like I run it all on my own, but it's actually Tracy who is the muscle. Welcome to the show. Thanks. We've done the call for submissions. That's why I wanted to have you on rather than just me go on about Hump. Briefly, when you first got involved with Hump, what did you think? Well, I was a little scared and nervous before I actually entered the event because I think when you hear porn, you never know what it's going to be like. As now an event producer, it was everything I wanted it to be, like massive crowds, big rush, <laughs> crazy. And the, films, the films themselves. And then the, as, as an audience member going into it was nothing I've ever seen before. And now you've been on the Hump jury for years. You help yeah. pick the films. It's not just me. There's a whole group of people. Mm-hmm. We put Hump together. We watch your submissions. We pick the 24, 25 best, and we create the show. And now Hump tours the country because of Tracy, my mean lesbian boss. <laughs> she makes sure that Hump gets to you wherever you are. And we're here today to talk about how you can get to Hump or get in Hump. We've done the call for submissions, so everyone's invited to make a film for Hump. As associate producer and co-executive, co-president of the Hump Jury, what makes a good Hump film? What should people be thinking about if they want to contribute a film to Hump? Um, definitely has to be five minutes or less. It can be anything. We like to say it can be anything except minors, except poop, poop. and except animals. So if, you have a, if you're thinking about a film where a child shits on a cat, it's not going to get a <laughs> Hump. Right. You know, I think it's really intimidating at first where people want to make a film. You know, they think about wanting to make a film or they go to the event and they're like, oh, I could totally do that. And then it's really intimidating because some of the quality, you know, the quality of these films are amazing. And some of the best films and some of the winning films were shot on iPhones. And some of the stories that we follow up with with the filmmakers afterwards, um, you know, are yeah, we just sat around and had a few drinks and said, like, wouldn't it be funny if we did that? And then they just made it happen. And I think those are the best stories. It doesn't have to be overproduced. It doesn't have to be, you know, top-notch equipment. Yeah, really, Hump runs the gamut. The films that you'll see, and if you've been to Hump, you know, you'll see everything from animation to erotica to really rough stuff that looked like it was produced on the fly or made really simply to stuff where obviously they hired a professional camera crew and professional editors, Mm -hmm. but you don't have to be a pro to get in and you don't have to have high production values to get in. The thing has to have heart. The really the best films are ones made by friends and lovers who are having fun. That's what makes the porn at hump different than the porn you see just about anywhere else because everyone in it 
wants to be there and it's so clear they want to be there and they're sharing something very personal. I like to say when we're on the road, I make a joke at the end of each show. I thank the audience for coming and the best thing that we're, you know, now that we are taking it on the road, the best thing is that we're getting submissions from all over the country and Canada, not in, in the world for that matter, um, not just from Seattle and Portland. And so my joke is, you know, we are now taking films from everywhere, from you guys, not just from Seattle and Portland anymore. And I say not just from skinny little white hipsters, <laughs> you know, because for a while it was like it was just the Pacific Northwest hipster event to go to. A lot of beards. A lot of beards. And now it's just, you know. Women. It's it's every it's everyone from everywhere. Like I want films from Dallas and Atlanta and California and Chicago and New York. I mean, now it's like everyone and everything, and and it's, it's so great to see those films come in to see everyone, um, or you know, all the different styles and and genders and sex sexual orientations and body types, everything. And that's my favorite thing about actually watching the festival. You and I, when we go to the festival, we watch the audience because Hump is a festival where you can be a porn star for a weekend in a movie theater, not a porn star for eternity on the internet. So we don't release anything online and we keep an eye on the audiences to make sure that nobody's attempting to make a bootleg. And we watch the people watching the show. And there's this amazing thing that happens where you've got this big audience of like lots of straight people, lots of gay people, some trans people, lots of kinky people. And you've got gay guys watching Conolingus and you've got straight guys watching a dude get fucked in the ass. And you've got <laughs> cisgender people watching trans porn made by trans people about themselves and really for themselves. And you've got vanilla people watching kinky porn. And there's this thing that happens in the first few films that they roll out where people are kind of thrown back in their seats, mm-hmm. kind of have the wind knocked out of them. Mm-hmm. But about a third of the way through the festival, everyone starts cheering and clapping for every film. Nobody is having that like, whoa, reaction anymore about right. halfway through. And I think what happens is initially when the films first begin to roll out, and these are all porn shorts, so nothing's more than five minutes long, all anybody can see is what's different. That's not my plumbing. Those aren't the kinds of people I'm attracted to. Those aren't the kinds of things I want to do in bed. That's not the kind of gender expression I'm familiar with. And all they can see is what's not them. What's not there is what's different. And about halfway through, everyone starts clicking into what's exactly the same. Because under that thin veneer of plumbing and gender and desire and sexual orientation, there's this really heavy slab of everything that's lust, vulnerability, a sense of humor, desire, friendship, love, all that's the same. And did you just see this moment where the audience flips from, oh my God, oh my God, what's that? Not me, not mine, to that's me too. Even though nothing up there looks anything like me, right. that's me too. I've been to shows where, you know, I've literally watched the audience, people, like people, couples, friends sitting next to each other where one person is like covering their eyes because they have never seen that before. And the person right next to them that they came with is laughing hysterically. And I've watched that same couple flip and I've watched the person that was, you know, laughing hysterically cover Cover their their eyes eyes. while the other person is, you know, applauding and cheering. And I think that's the best part is watching the dynamic of the audience change up and down. And, and it is true. I mean, also my favorite part of traveling to all these cities is standing out in the lobby after every show as everyone leaves and everyone loves it. You know, it's, that's, it's so cool to see everyone come out with such a okay, positive. We're, well, we're talking people into coming to the festival. I wanted to have you on to talk people into submitting to the festival, okay, okay. to making a film for Hump. There's a couple things that are different about making a film for Hump. There are other festivals that are similar. There's lots of other film festivals in the world. Unlike just about every other one, you don't have to pay to enter Hump. There's no charge to enter. And not only that, there's what what is it? Twenty thousand um, dollars. Last cash year, prizes? last year we've always did ten thousand dollars in prizes. This year we're doing fifteen. And so there's a five thousand dollar best in show award. There are two thousand dollar runner up prizes for best kink, best sex, best humor. 
and other awards, the jury awards. We give a lot of money back to the filmmakers. And then when Hump goes on tour, and that's just at the festival in Seattle and Portland where the audience ballots are uh, determined which are the best films and the winning films. And then it goes on tour and everyone who made a film and contributed a film to Hump and goes out on tour with Hump, they get a percentage of every ticket sold. Right. So the filmmakers make money. We were, you know, they make money. We give back to the filmmakers a lot of the money that's made by by the tour. Right. So there's something in it for you. Not only don't you have to pay to enter, but at the festival you could win a large prize. And if you go out on tour, you're definitely going to get a check at the end of the tour that honors your contribution. Mm-hmm. A check quarterly will pay you throughout the tour. <laughs> So in a way, once you're in Hump, you're kind of a professional pornographer because you're getting paid for it. I mean, it's true. The people that do get into the festival um, are so appreciative. And so, uh, you know, they, they write back saying like, oh, my God, I can't wait to tell my friends I'm a porn star. You know, <laughs> some people don't say anything. Some people want to pretend like it's still their little secret, you know, and and that's that's cool. And, and it can be your little secret. There are lots of films where you don't see anyone's faces. Right. Lube Dispenser, one of my favorite films uh, in this year's festival, mm-hmm. you didn't see anybody's face. Right. And there it was, was still super hot. There's also an older couple um, who they even said at the beginning of the film they really wanted to be a part of Hump. And I don't know if they made uh, – I think they made the cut on – I think it was like 2014. Um, but they wore full body suits, you know, and just they like made it, made it happen with full body suits. Um, some of the best films that we get, you know, also I want to say that if if having sex on film, like having actual penetration and intercourse on film scares you, I will say that a lot of uh, films we get that we love don't actually have actual sex in it. There's sometimes some humor the, shorts. The Collector humor was shorts, one of the favorites yeah. this year on the tour, and it was just kind of a... Dateline 2020 interview with a guy who collects semen where nobody got undressed. And it was just like a little humorous short riffing on something sexy, something dirty. And it totally had a place in home. It reminded me of Christopher Guest films, um, The Collector Did. Absolutely. Where it was just, you know, no sex at all, but fucking laughing the whole time. Can I curse on here? Yes, you can curse on here. I mean, it's all about sex. I can curse. (laughs) Um, It is a podcast. You could actually get undressed right now and no one will know. No, no. Except me. I'll be terribly traumatized. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so I just, you know, some of the films are hilarious and have no sex at all. Um, some have sex and kink and humor. Some have just kink. Um, there are a million ways to go about it, you know, to, to submit a film and you can write to it. There's a whole website dedicated to submitting a film at humpfilmfest.com. And you click on submit and you'll find all the information you need about submitting a film to Hump. You can ask us questions about it. it's free to submit a film to Hump. If you get into the festival, you have about one in what, three or four chance of winning mm-hmm. a large cash prize based on the audience ballot. And if you go out on tour, you're going to get three or four checks over the course of the year, giving you your cut of every ticket sold uh, on the Hump Tour. So please think about making a film for Hump. Hump is a blast everywhere it goes. People love it. And we've never had anything but good experiences with people who submitted films for it. I do want to say one last thing is that the other thing, the intimidation that comes along with submitting a film to a festival like this, um, you, keep in mind it's fun, but also – we're looking for everything. We're not just looking for the sexiest or the kinkiest or the funniest film or the best in show. We like to create a 90 minute runtime of films that has something in it. Five minute runtime. That like 90 minutes it. when you're running the event on a two hours, <laughs> the two hour window. We like something for everyone. So if you think, you know, your film's not good enough or you think or it's you too think short. Your or you, kink or what turns you on is too unique or personal to you. Those are always the films that the audience loves. Loves, yeah. But, you know, people don't want – don't ape the conventions of commercial porn. Don't do a film that's what you think people want to see. Do a film that is what you want to present and who you are. And those are the films that the audiences vote up. Those are the films that the audience 
heaps prizes on, and those are the films mm-hmm. that everybody loves and remembers. Yeah, send it in. We'll all fight about it and watch it a hundred times in the jury room. The other thing we should say for people thinking about submitting. We destroy all of our copies of the films after the festival and the tour are over. We destroy all paperwork after the festival is over. So you have to have releases. We have to have IDs during the festival and during the tour. But once it's all over, all of that gets destroyed. And your film only gets released out into the wild if you choose to release it. If you choose to put it, as some people have, there's some hump films on Xtube, some that are not graphic on YouTube. We didn't release those. The filmmakers did. But you can take part in hump safe in the knowledge that – your privacy is going to be respected and you can be a porn star for the weekend in this movie theater without having to be a porn star for eternity. And there's no cell phones in the theater. I patrol the aisles myself. Mean lesbian boss. Um, yeah, it's, it's fun. I think as the, as a person running that event and watching all of these films, like a hundred or 150 films through a whole weekend, I have this thing now where if I see somebody that I think I know, you know, most people don't want to be rude and they want to say hi. I can't do that anymore because the person that I think I might know and I say like, hey, I think I know you from somewhere. I can't do that because that UPS guy, <laughs> I think I you know, might have actually seen him guy. in a film. So um, I just don't say hi to anyone anymore because I need to keep that. That privacy private. <laughs> well, for years we called it the Pacific Northwest's biggest, best, and only amateur porn film festival. We're no longer calling it the Pacific Northwest. It's now the world's, and we are accepting submissions from all over the place. So Chicago, San Francisco, New York, Toronto, Vancouver, Dallas, we want to see you in Hump. Go to humpfilmfest.com. Click on Submit for how to submit your film, and go there also to be reminded of what's in it for you if you get your film into Hump. Tracy, thanks for dropping by. Thanks for having me. Again, you can find all the information you need to submit a film to Hump at humpfilmfest.com. Click on submit and the deadline for submissions is the 30th of September. Coming up in today's Magnum version of the show, Emily Galati, the hilarious comedian we had at our live show in Madison, Wisconsin. And of course, your calls. Hi, Dan. I'm a 40-year-old lady living in the Northeast. Um, I have a, is this okay to cheat question? I'm married with two kids and I've been having a side relationship with a female friend of mine who's also married with two kids. And it has been with the full consent of our husbands. Probably a month or so, almost two ago, her husband put put the nicks on it, said no more. He wasn't comfortable with it. He realized he wasn't going to be able to be involved and just said, no, that's it. So I'm having a difficult time being around her without wanting to be intimate and sexual with her. So I don't know what the best course to take would be to cheat, which we don't really want to do. We've tried all the tactics tactics to convince her husband's not working. Do I just Stay away from her. Really, I really don't know what to do. And I was hoping you could shed some light. I, I had a question uh, because it wasn't clear from your call. How long were you and this woman uh, having this permitted affair, this consensual connection? About six months. Okay. Did something change? What was the reason the husband gave for telling his wife that he didn't want her to be having sex with you anymore? He was scared that we were getting too close and that she would leave him. Uh huh. Were you getting closer, noticeably closer? Was it becoming more intimate and spun up? I don't think so. 
so. I think it was pretty, pretty intimate the whole time. Mm-hmm. You, you know what part of it was, is that initially he had some expectation that he was going to uh, be involved. Uh-huh. He wanted to be, he wanted me to be a third and I wasn't comfortable. Okay. So he had a what's in it. He had a what's in it for me crisis. That initially he was. He thought if I allow this to happen, eventually I get to have a three way, and then that never materialized. Right. Okay. You know, everyone's gonna have this negative reaction to the husband, and he's a jerko and whatever. But you know, I don't think a what's in it for me is entirely an illegitimate kind of commodified bargain between people who had previously been in a monogamous relationship. I will give you my okay to do this. If you know, there's something in it for me, if we get to do X, you can do Y. And the X for him was the three way, which is not going to happen because you don't want to have a three way. So the only counter I think that your former girlfriend can make to her husband is some other X that she still gets the Y, which is you. But is there some other X she can offer him in exchange for, him consenting to this again. Is there a three-way that she can arrange with somebody else, with a sex worker, with a whatever, or some other thing he's always wanted to do, or maybe a permission slip for him to run off on his own and do whatever. Okay. And that could be the way to make this happen. You know, another way to perhaps reobtain his consent is to honor the withdrawal of it for now, which means don't have an affair with this woman. Don't go behind the husband's back and fuck her. If he sees that his wife is going to put his feelings first and turn off the spigot, if he says the spigot's got to be turned off, that can give him the confidence and the security to perhaps give her permission to turn that spigot on again down the road. Right. And that's a horrible, you know, but there's no guarantee of that, which makes, you know, putting all your hope in that perhaps frustrating. And, you know, since there's no guarantee and that putting all your hopes, that can be create anxiety for you because why should I wait if there's no guarantee that if I'm good and we don't that we might get to eventually but if you want to ever again eventually without blowing up her marriage honoring his the withdrawal of his consent is one strategy and finding out what other X she can offer him in exchange for this Y is the other and those are really the only ones I can think of we, we have been honoring his wishes to not go behind his X Okay. Well, I think that, I think that's yeah. only right and proper. Yeah. You know, if if she can't live without pussy, <laughs> if this is something <laughs> that she needs in her life to be content uh, and to you know be sexually fulfilled and uh, fully realized as a sexual person, an intimate person, then that's a separate conversation she needs to have with her husband without it involving you. Right. Like if she needs openness to stay, if she needs his buy off and and his consent and his permission for the relationship to go forward. Let them have that conversation without you like waiting outside the door with no panties. Yeah. On. <laughs> that makes sense. Good luck. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're in this position. A lot of people, when they first open their relationships, this is a really common occurrence where, you know, two people in a long-term committed monogamous relationship, straight or gay or lesbian or whatever, they open it and one person gets cold feet and wants to close it again. I know a lot of people today in successfully open marriages that are pretty easy peasy, pretty breezy and pretty content where there was this period where they slammed the door shut because one person had a kind of a panic attack and a meltdown. 
And uh, all of those people I know in those relationships that are that were open for a bit, then closed, then reopened, the only ones that are successful, the only ones that reopened successfully and peacefully are the ones where one the one partner who had the panic attack said, no, closed for now. The other towed the line and said, okay, you come first, closed for now. Right. And then then the other person felt secure enough in being the first priority, secure enough to know that if they did withdraw their consent, that that would be respected to mm-hmm. bestow their consent again on their partner. Okay. So we'll just try to have some patience. Have some patience. Good luck to you. Thank you, Dan. Hey, Dan, I have a quick question. I'm calling from the Southwest by Guy here. And a guy I used to mess around with, he's in the closet, very religious. And I just came across a video of him on the Internet messing around with another guy. And I know this can have, like, negative uh, effect if a member of his family was to see the video or something. So I don't know what my responsibility is. Should I get the video taken down? Should I contact him and let him know that there's video circulating? I don't know. I need some help. I have a funny story. I was approached by a friend because my friend saw someone that he knew on Xtube. And there was this dirty video and his friend was clearly identifiable. And he knew his friend to be this kind of uptight, prim and proper person who would be mortified and appalled to know that this video was out there in the world. And so we gamed out how to approach his friend, how to like sit him down and talk to him in a calm and measured way so his friend didn't freak out and cry or drop dead of a heart attack. And he went to his friend and very carefully and with a great deal of compassion and caution presented this to him. And his friend laughed because this was his kink because he was an exhibitionist. He knew the video was out there. He put it up himself. And it was so in contrast to the person that my friend knew his friend to be that it shocked my friend. But of course, that makes total sense. A lot of us, our erotic inner lives are in contrast to our presentation the rest of the time. Think of the high-powered executive who pays some nice dominatrix to call him names and beat the shit out of him, right? Who wants to give up all the power that he's worked so hard to accrue over the course of his life in these controlled settings. And this guy, this prim and proper guy – who's worked so hard to create this persona for himself, which seems to not be at all interested in sex on the flip side, totally interested and an exhibitionist and but compartmentalizes that and has no problem with that video being out there. Maybe that's the case here. Hopefully that's the case here because you're not going to fucking say anything and you're going to keep your mouth shut and you're not going to be the white knight. You can't get that video taken offline As we've discussed before, once a video is out there, once images are out there on the interwebs, they're out there. So going to your friend or your ex and telling him about it serves no purpose. If he knows it's out there and doesn't care or put it out there himself, then you've just had an awkward conversation rooted in faulty assumptions about the person you thought him to be. But if he doesn't know it's out there, knowing it's out there is going to be a torment to him forever. And that torment, that potentially lifelong torment, even eternal torment perhaps, serves what purpose? Serves no purpose if nothing bad ever comes of this. Who knows? Maybe no one else will ever see the video or it will get buried by all the other porn that's coming along online. No other friend or acquaintance will ever spot him in that video. And he will spend the rest of his life, if you bring him this news, worrying about what may never come to pass. 
his mother seeing it, his boss seeing it, his new boyfriend or girlfriend seeing it, whatever. Why do that to him? Why burden him with that torment for something that may never come to pass? Shut your fucking mouth. Stay the fuck out of it. Hi, Dan. I'm Tech Savvy at Rescues. I am a 38-year-old gay man living in San Francisco, and I'm calling about the issue of gay dudes and our dating pool being kind of limited, especially in gay meccas, um, and how to, how, how to handle etiquette when I'm flirting with and sexting with uh, a guy who my recent ex has definitely had an ongoing hookup with. And I want to know, like, do I owe disclosure? Like, I realized this after, you know, about an hour of talking on one of the hookup apps. Um, but like, oh, this is that dude who my very recent ex has been hooking up with for the past three months. He was hooking up with him while we were together. Do I need to say something to anybody? Like, I think I know well enough to not call my ex and say, hey, I think I'm going to have sex with this dude you're hooking up with. Because that sounds awkward and uncomfortable. But, like, should I tell the dude, like, oh, yeah, by the way, you know my ex. He's coming you a bunch of times. Ha, ha, ha. Let's go. So just really an etiquette question. What's the polite course of action? Hi. How are you? I, I'm good. Thanks for calling me. You're welcome. Did you fuck this guy yet? Um, no, not yet. <laughs> are you still thinking about it? Well, yeah. I mean, we've, we've mostly just been talking online and over text. Um, he's super hot and beautiful, and I'm totally into it but i'm also like i don't want to be disingenuous and like keep this relevant potentially relevant piece of information from him just to be clear about the history here so you were with somebody else you were in a relationship that's now over and while you were in that relationship your ex was hooking up with this guy was it right was it an open relationship or was your ex cheating totally. with this guy okay so totally open no totally I, what's the problem then well i just want to make sure that nobody feels like anybody's territory is getting pissed off <laughs> it just seems like what you would chalk up to small world, particularly San Francisco, particularly gay small world. People hook up with okay. people's ex hookups and exes. And what can you do? If you're worried that he may react badly, you can get out in front of it and disclose in advance, particularly if you're interested in a relationship with this guy, potentially you don't want to this to come out six months later and for him to wonder why you withheld it or if you were being manipulative or there was some sort of yeah but i'm not really thinking in those lines i'm thinking more like we should eat each other's butts for several hours <laughs> that i don't see necessarily a the need to disclose but i don't see why you wouldn't disclose because small world small world okay cool that was sort of how i was leaning and then i was thinking like i like you know heteronormative modeling says you never have sex with somebody who has ever had sex with anyone you've ever had sex with. Oh my God. But we've talked about that on this show a lot, that that's like straight bullshit that, that gay people don't have the luxury for because we're such a tiny percentage of the population. We can't say to our friends, you can't sleep with anyone I've ever dated considering how few of us there are and how many of us have dated a great many people that if we started making totally. those rules, we would either never get laid or have no friends so that we could get laid sometimes. Okay. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm smelling what you're stepping in. <laughs> File this under not a problem and send me a picture of this guy because I want to see him now that you've described him as so hot. <laughs> okay, give me an email address and I will. It's mail at savagelove.net. So easy. I'll send it. Thanks. Hi, Dan. I have a question for you about jealousy. When you talk about monogamy on your show, I always really agree with what you say in terms of it not being realistic for a lot of people in long-term relationships, you know, that if somebody 
makes out or hooks up with somebody once in a while, um, that it's not a big deal. So I really agree with this theoretically and intellectually. And I guess my problem is that emotionally, I have a really hard time getting there, kind of feeling that in my, I don't know, being or whatever you want to say. I've been with my boyfriend for almost two years now, and um, we're living together and talking long term and things are great. And, um, you know, I really like the idea of him being able to hook up with people once in a while, me being able to hook up with people once in a while. But I can't, I just can't get there emotionally. And, you know, I've, I, I feel like this process maybe takes a while and we've kind of tried to dip our toe in, like, for example, a little while ago, we went to a sex club and it was really fun and we both really liked it. There's one point where there's kind of, there's another couple beside us and, you know, I started um, kissing the woman and um, my boyfriend was touching her. And, you know, there's, again, like the intellectual side of my brain that was like, this is great. And, you know, this is, I want to do this. And this is, feels right to me, or I guess, things right to me. But there was another part of me that was like, get your fucking hands off of her breasts. And I really am struggling with how to work through that part of me because, um, it just kind of crops up and it, and it, I kind of plays with my mind and makes me feel really threatened and jealous, which is kind of embarrassing because otherwise I'm a pretty confident person and pretty self-reflective. Um, my boyfriend is really respectful and patient and, you know, we talk about kind of going at a, at a pace and doing what feels right. And if it doesn't feel right, then we won't do it. But anyway, I want to get to a place where where that does feel right. And I'm just wondering if you have any tips to help me get there. So I'm curious what happened when you were at the sex club and your boyfriend was touching that other woman's breasts. And you said you wanted to scream, get your hands off her breasts, but you don't say what you actually did or didn't do at that moment. I don't think I realized that I wanted to scream that at the time. Ah. Um, More just, yeah, more just that I was uncomfortable and I was like, eh, I'm not really feeling this. Mm-hmm. Maybe on some level I knew that, that I wanted to scream that, but it wasn't like an overwhelming urge. Like I knew that that's really what I wanted to scream. Um, but what actually happened was not really anything. I think it was just, you know, we kind of played around for a bit and then went on our merry way. <laughs> they went on their merry way and we went on ours. <laughs> was he feeling it? <laughs> Your boyfriend? I think kind of. Like, I don't think he was like, oh, that was so hot. I was so into it. But I think he probably, I think he, He's very intuitive mm-hmm. about where I'm at. So I think he sensed that I was uncomfortable. Yeah, he's probably not going to tell you that uh, oh, that was so hot, I was so into it, if he knows that you're feeling really kind of conflicted about all of this. Yeah, yeah. Oh, because like one time I actually, like I did, I like grabbed his hand. So I probably was <laughs> thinking that in my head. Because at one point I did grab his hand. So he was, he, he, he was like, I could tell you were uncomfortable. Did you leave bruises? No. Okay, so you, you're not as bad a, as Trump's it, campaign manager. No, it was, a, it was a gentle, maybe grab is a strong word, maybe a gentle push away. Why are you in a sex club or at a sex party? Why are you working so hard to get to this place if you're clearly not wanting to be in this place, if this doesn't work for you? It's, it's not required. You don't have to be monogamous or non-monogamous to be hep and cool. It's fine to be monogamous if that's really where you're comfortable, if that's what works mm-hmm. for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess a couple of reasons. First, that the idea of 
like one partner till death do us part or till the relationship does us part uh, doesn't sound like what I want. Um, okay, well, you're so not, I was, but you're not dying a week from Tuesday. There's no rush. <laughs> no, you, can, you can hold this no. thought in your head that you know you can look at each other and say clearly you're not the last person I'm ever going to sleep with, but I would like to be with you for the rest of my life. But for right now, yeah. what, this works for me entirely, just sleeping with you. But you know, asterisk yeah. footnote. We can revisit this issue down the road, but right now, let's be right. here. This is where I need to be. This is where I'm right. comfortable being. There's no fucking rush. If you know intellectually <laughs> that you would like to be non-monogamous in the future yeah. at some yeah. unspecified time, you can just sit with that. You don't have to then go, yeah. so we have to do this by Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I guess part of it was wanting, uh, for me, wanting to push myself a little bit to just see where that boundary is. Mm-hmm. because I don't really know. And so we had gone into um, the sex club with the idea that we were just going to go to a sex club and have sex with each other. And it was really fun. Like it was super hot, like for, you know, the days leading up to it, very exciting, really fun when we got home for weeks afterwards. Like it was really, I had an awesome time overall um, and did love it. Um, except for that one moment where I was like, awkward. You can keep going um, to sex clubs. And a lot of people who – there are many, many couples who go to swingers clubs, go to swing organizations, go to organized sex parties just to have sex with each other in this erotically charged environment, right? That they're yeah. aroused by you know being seen, by what they're seeing, but they don't touch mm-hmm. anybody or want to touch anybody else. And in swinger land or organized sex party land, when it works and works well, people respect that. People respect people's mm-hmm. motives. People don't just start touching. They ask or you have to initiate yourselves. So you can yeah. you can benefit from all of that erotic energy and keep your relationship hot and sexy without yet having to, you know, push yourself toward a boundary that makes your lunch push itself back up out of your mouth. <laughs> yeah, I guess I just I feel badly like I would like why? to give him that. Why? You know, does, because he, I, does he want it? Is he, is he pushing you toward this? I don't understand why you feel badly. No, uh, no, he's not pushing me towards it. But um, give yourself a break. <laughs> I guess I just I'm like what, but then but then what's the process like what's the process so I'm saying okay now I don't feel comfortable well the process then, is I guess a, a time may come when this feels right and right now it doesn't yeah. feel right so fucking stop it right go to the sex clubs if, if they work for you and, and that, that whole thing that you described where in the, the yeah. days or weeks running up to that event, you guys were fucking like crazy and really turned on. Mm-hmm. And in the wake yeah. of it, you were fucking like crazy and really turned on. That's what's awesome for people in partnered relationships and long-term relationships about getting out there, pushing your boundaries a little bit um, and trying new and different things is it you know makes you want to fuck each other. Not right. just have this opportunity to fuck other people if indeed that's on the plate or on the table. So keep doing yeah. a little bit of that just to like keep yeah. the spark alive. But put a bookmark in it and say, you know, at some point, maybe this sex with others will feel less, uh, whatever it feels, however wrong it feels, whatever label you want to put on it will be less inflaming of my insecurities or whatever. We just haven't met the right people to mess around with together yet. Mm -hmm. Maybe those people are out there, but we haven't met them yet. And let's just not rush it because it's the rushing it, I think, that's upsetting you. There's pushing boundaries and then there's pushing yourself past your current limits and your right. current limits can change over time. Okay. So just time. Give it time. And here I am, Dan Savage, the king of 
allegedly bullying people into all being non-monogamous, <laughs> telling you to just be fucking monogamous right now. And maybe monogamous forever. It might never work for you. Well, I think that that's what I'm afraid of. Why, why should you be afraid of what works for you? Well, I think because um, I heard on one episode you were talking, you were like referencing one couple where like the woman sleeps with other people and the guy doesn't. And on one hand, I was like, there's like this part of me that feels like that probably would be what works for me. But like, how shitty is that for my partner? If it's he not, wants to sleep with other people. And I can't handle it. And I do want to sleep with other people. And you can. And, and he's it. fine with it. Okay. So there's two things I would say in response to that. There are guys yeah. out there who that's what they want. They want their yeah. female partners to sleep with other men and they don't particularly desire to sleep with other women themselves. They're cuckolds or they're mm-hmm. not wifing or yeah. there are some people out there in that kind of, uh, non-reciprocal open relationship where they're just willing to accommodate their partner's insecurities because they benefit. Mm-hmm. You know, he might want to sleep mm-hmm. with other women, but you can't handle it and he can handle it if you can sleep with other men and you can too and that's hypocritical, but whatever. And then he gets all this <laughs> sex in the wake of you fucking other guys and yeah. it keeps your spark alive. So there's something in it for him even if he doesn't get the same license or buy-off you do, but it has to be by mutual consent. It can't just be imposed right. on him. He has to choose that. And so what you described works for some people and doesn't work for other people. I don't know what kind of person your boyfriend is or whether that would work for him or not. That's a conversation to have with him. Right. And then, you know, over time you may find if you fuck some other guys with him, maybe have some three ways, the whole idea Mm -hmm. of, you know, knowing that you can sleep with somebody else without feeling any less attracted to your partner, any less attached to your partner, in love with your partner, eventually you should be able to project that onto your partner. He can touch another woman without his feelings for me being diminished, just as I have touched other men without my feelings for him being diminished. But maybe that's going to take some time of you fucking Mm. other men to get that through your head, if indeed it ever gets through your head. (laughs) Yeah, which is a very good point. It's not my head that it needs to get through. because It's through my head. It's just my, I don't know, heart, loins. Your reptile brain. It's through your, it's through your, it's through your. Exactly. It's through my, my fear, my, wherever fear, wherever fear lives. Frontal lobe, it's through your brainstem hasn't quite caught up, but don't rush your brainstem because it'll, it'll fuck things up. So Dan Savage, the king of the non-monogamous fuck brigades is urging you just to fuck your boyfriend only. Fuck him in different crazy places, erotic environments that charge you both up. Don't fuck other people for now and talk to him about what he's comfortable with. If he, maybe he has a cuckold thing and you haven't really talked about it yet, or maybe he has a hot wife or hot girlfriend thing and you guys haven't talked about it yet. Throw that thing that you think sounds so unfair on the table because there's a lot of guys out there who that thing that sounds unfair to you and perhaps to people outside your relationship is exactly what the guy in the relationship wants. Well, he has said, he has said like, I'd like to just, if we go back to the sex club or, or somewhere else, like I just want to, um, I just want you to have whatever pleasure you want to have and whatever that looks like women or men or whatever, we can talk about it, but I just want to see you get pleasured, All which right. to me, I was like, I don't even get that, but that's okay. cool, I guess. But you can, <laughs> can you take yes for an answer? Are you capable of doing I that? I can. Yeah. Are yes, I am. Are you capable of taking a man at his word when he consents to what seems to you unfair, but perhaps he's so aroused by watching that, that there's something in it for him and he doesn't experience it as unfair. Absolutely. All right. Well, then explicitly make a pact. We're going to go to a sex club. I'm going to do what I want, and you're going to do nothing except with me. Okay. And then okay. see how that goes. And if he leaves feeling as upset as you left feeling last time, then obviously yeah. that's not a model that works for you guys. Right. And maybe you should just fuck each other. 
<laughs> okay. Thank you very much. That was very helpful. Good luck. Hey, Dan. I'm a 39-year-old gay man uh, with a question for you. Uh, I came out to my parents about three years ago. They're very Christian. They still see being gay as a you know lifestyle and, and my choice. So I, I love my parents dearly. They love me, but that's how they see it. My mom had a great idea of taking a family cruise, um, all expenses paid for all of us, you know, the whole family, my brother, uh, nieces, his wife, my other brother. And it'd be great. The only problem is that it's a focus on the family retreat. And the last thing I want to do is hang around a bunch of bigots who see me as less than and who caused me to be suicidal in my teenage and early 20s and, and, and hate myself for so long. It's hurtful that my mom would suggest this as a family vacation. I don't know what to say anymore. I don't know if I should just should just you know tell her I, I don't feel like going or if I should. I don't know what to do, Dan. So if you have any suggestions, that'd be great. Not all gay people are the same. Gay people are very different. We're very diverse. Even gay men, we can be very different from one another because I would be so on that boat if I were you. I would be pitching this to every magazine editor in the country right now if I were you. I would be asking 60 Minutes if they wanted to come along, me and Anderson, film the whole fucking thing. What a shit show. And then pick it apart with mom. Get mom on camera and be like, mom. If I'd converted to Islam, would you be inviting me to a Trump rally? What the fuck with this boat full of bigots? But I wasn't closeted until I was 36 years old. I didn't suffer, perhaps, uh, the same way you suffered at the hands of these particular kind of evangelical religious bigots. Sounds like it's potentially traumatizing for you to think about being on this boat full of assholes. And traumatizing for you to contemplate your mother's in consideration. So don't fucking go. Tell mom, I'm not coming on a focus on the family cruise. Here's the Southern Poverty Law Center research on focus on the family. It is an anti-gay hate group. I'm not going to give them my money. I'm not going to sit by and let you give them more of your money to make room for me on this boat full of assholes. And if you want to go on a cruise with the whole family, maybe a secular cruise. You guys can pray your hearts out before dinner, but I don't have to be, and I will not be subjected to religious hoo-ha-ery. And I will not be the openly gay dude on a boat full of bigots wondering who's going to shove me over the side or corner me and proselytize to me, which is much more likely. Not down for that, Mom. Doesn't sound like a vacation to me. Sounds like a vacation to Dan Savage. You might want to invite Dan Savage. Maybe Dan Savage could go in my place. Maybe that would be the best revenge on your parents. You get that ticket and then you put it in my name and I show up. I'd be down. I'd be there in a heartbeat. I'm not saying I'm made of stronger stuff than you. I, t I would just take pleasure in inflicting myself on everyone on this boat in some perverse way. You don't have that gene. You would not take pleasure in having everyone else on that boat inflicted on you because we're different. Because gay men are different from one another. We are diverse, just us gay guys. We can be very different, come down to very different sides of a focus on the family cruise. So, yeah, tell mom you're not going and tell her why. Hey, Dan, I am a 29-year-old gay man, and I have a question that maybe hopefully you can help resolve. I was recently in a very short-term, in a 
in a relationship with this man who I trusted wholeheartedly. And I really, I, I mean, I really liked him. We were dating for almost about a month. Then I come to find out that he was in fact seeing somebody else. So I basically cut him out from my life. It's been a week since we broke up. Um, I thought since we were only together for a month, it was going to be like getting over mild food poisoning. You know, I thought, oh, okay, I'll be done with it. But it's been a week and I'm still thinking about him. I don't want to have anything to do with this man ever again. This is not the first time this has happened to me before. This has happened numerous times, but I just feel like, okay, well, I'm supposed to be over this guy already. A lot of my, I've talked to some of my friends about it. They'll tell me, well, you need to go on the rebound. And I don't want, I've done the rebound before and I end up feeling worse after doing that. I just want to know, is there any other way that maybe I could possibly get over him? If you could offer any suggestion, I would really appreciate it. You're not really hung up on him. You were only with him for a month. In that time, he cheated on you at least one time, at least the time you know about. So he wasn't who you thought he was. So it's not him you're hung up on. You're well rid of him. You don't care for him. You don't like him. I think the reason you're still having the sads a whole week after this breakup is not because of who he was, but what he symbolized was the possibility of maybe this was the beginning of a relationship. You would very much like to be in a stable, committed, perhaps monogamous relationship. And in that time, that short time that you were with him, you invested your hopes for all of that in him. And he proved himself to be an unworthy vessel for your hopes and dreams. And that's why you feel so hurt and scalded because you misjudged him. And so that comes bundled with a little bit of humiliation, but also frustrated hopes and dreams because you have nowhere right now to place those. You have no other vessel, no other person in your life that you could invest them in. And you feel foolish for having invested them in him and having made a mistake about who he was. And so I think that's what you're grieving, not the loss of this guy in particular, but the loss of what this guy symbolized a partnership, perhaps not with him, but with somebody as for rebound sex. I am in the 22nd year of a rebound relationship. Terry was the first guy I had sex with after the end of a year long relationship that I was in. Terry was totally rebound sex that first night that we went home with each other from a bar here in Seattle from rebar, totally rebound sex that we kept having all summer long. And the whole summer that we were having that sex, I was like, yeah, he's just the palate cleanser. He is the wafer thin after dinner mint. That's getting me over my ex. So don't rule out. And, and 22 years later, we are still together. If this is a rebound, it is a, it is an epic rebound. So don't rule out the possibility of you going out there, meeting somebody else and it clicking. But if you tell yourself that somebody that you meet in the wake of a failed relationship is never someone you could potentially be with, that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Then, yeah, all of the rebound relationships or all the rebound sex that you have in the wake of a breakup, those are all going to fail because you've told yourself they must. Tell yourself they might not. Just like non-rebound sex and relationship doesn't always fail. Those don't always fail. Rebound relationships, same thing. They don't always, quote unquote, fail with fail here in quotes because a relationship doesn't have to last forever or even last a weekend to have been a success. But the idea of not failing that you're bandying about and so I'm accepting your premise is 
together forever. And you can be together forever. Or at least 22 years and counting in my experience in a rebound relationship with some hot boy that you are having rebound sex with to help you get over the scumbag you were dating for just a month. Hi, Dan. Um, I'm a 31-year-old female, and I just had perhaps a really good date and maybe the worst date that I've ever had. I went out with a 34-year-old male, and we had a really good time. We went to a coffee shop and walked around downtown. We went and sat on some benches, and we were sitting there talking when all of a sudden a man walked up behind him and put a gun to his head and said, nigga, give me all your money. (laughs) It was tremendously scary. When he started pulling him up with the gun to his head, I ran and hid behind um, like a concrete part of the building and started calling 911. And obviously I didn't know if I was going to get shot or not while I ran um, or if he was going to get shot in the head. Luckily we got out of the incident unharmed, except he got hit in the back of the head pretty badly with the gun. And they caught the guy and we identified him and we went over to his apartment and with the police and filled out all of this like paperwork. So for first date, that's kind of a lot to have happen. And we laughed it off pretty well um, in a way just because the cops got really amused that this was our first date. They were like, oh, my God, this is your first date. Like, this is like a great story. And they all wanted us, if we got married, to invite them to the to our wedding which was funny and we laughed about it and this just happened maybe like four hours ago but I've been texting him now that I've gotten home and we've been winding down a little bit and I'm kind of wondering I'm not really sure what I don't know kind of how to move forward because this was a really scary incident I think no matter what we both handled it well but I don't know there's something that feels a little bit like whoa that was a crazy thing to happen on the first time meeting somebody is that, you know, they got mugged by gunpoint and hit in the back of the head with a gun. So I want to hear your advice because I'm worried this is going to somehow taint things or even, you know, he keeps making jokes like we can tell this story to our grandkids. Maybe he's just coping. Maybe I'm overreacting right now, but I'm a little like nothing like this has ever happened. I've never had a date where I don't know who has had a first date like mine. You called us four hours after this traumatic event, and it sounds like you were still a little giddy, uh, you know, just processing it and reacting to it and probably pumped full of adrenaline. It's been a month now. So are you guys married yet? Do you have grandkids yet? (laughs) Uh, No. (laughs) Um, I went on a second date with him, and it did not go very well. Mm -hmm. And I honestly... I cannot tell, to be honest with you, because, I don't know, he did something that was pretty inappropriate, and it creeped me out. What did he do? He, so I hadn't kissed him and hadn't intended to, and we were hanging out watching a movie, and, you know, normally I don't go to people's apartments that soon, even, but we'd been there with the police already, Mm -hmm. Um, and he put his hand down my pants and started to touch me and finger me. Oh and I was God, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Without asking? Nope. And I I was really shocked um, because I hadn't, I've never even kissed him. Um, and he went into this whole thing about how my energy was bad and 
I needed to have an orgasm to change my energy. And I'm not a 13 year old girl, so that's not going to work on me. And it really creeped me out a lot. (laughs) Um, My God, I hate to say this, but he sounds like the kind of guy who should get hit in the head with a gun. (laughs) But 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 by but by Um, but by you, not not by some strangers trying to rob him. uh, By you in that moment. Oh my God, that's so horrible. The whole experience, (laughs) I would say, sums up as being pretty bad. And you know. I actually saw him today because we had to go, we were subpoenaed to testify in front of a grand jury. So, um, and you know, I brought someone with me cause I, I haven't really wanted and did to he, be around him. Did he run up to the judge and tell her that she needed to have an orgasm to change her energy and stick his hand? <laughs> no. Good Lord. So it would have been a little much. He has acted like, cause you know, I've had to tell him like, we can't see each other again. This is why I think it's, you know, pretty clear. I felt very violated by this behavior. I don't know why you would touch someone like that if you haven't kissed them yet. So he like keeps saying that it was because he was traumatized and stressed out. And I don't yeah, yeah. really think PTSD does that to you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no. Yeah. No. Like, the only thing that would make any kind of mitigating in a tiny minor way sense is that he got out way over his skis somehow thinking that you guys had bonded and, and, and over this experience and there was already this kind of rapidly established intimacy where he had that kind of long-term relationship license. You know, I've talked about this sometimes I get in trouble for it. Like I can walk up to my husband and stick my hand down his pants. In the kitchen, right? right? Because because I know him well enough, and I and, and if he's like not now, I like let go of my dick. I'll let go of his dick. It's not assault because he's not a stranger to me, and we sort of exist in this space of implied sort of continuous consent that can be withdrawn at any time and has to be respected. And you know, maybe by some stretch, real stretch of the imagination, maybe he thought you guys were there, but you were not. And he shouldn't have thought that. And if he's making excuses for it, instead of just abjectly apologizing for it. And even if he abjectly apologized for it, you should never, ever see this guy again. He shat the bed, unscrewable pooch. Done. Yeah, no. So it's pretty much been done. It is a little awkward because I will have to see him. There's going to be a trial. This person is going to be arraigned. So it's likely we're going to have to go testify a trial. So I'm just planning on bringing someone with me. Um, Yeah, as you should. Block him. You don't have to talk to this guy anymore. You might also, depending on what sort of officials you're interacting with, inform them of your discomfort having to interact with him so that they don't assume or they don't treat you, whatever, prosecutors or cops or court officials that you have to deal with together as the victims, that they're not assuming you two are intimate. Yeah, that might need to happen because they were, they definitely, the DA was asking us about that. The cops we saw today asked about that, you know, asked me about it. I don't know if they asked him, but I was like, yeah, no, we're, we went on a second date. It didn't work out, but you might want to say we went on a second date and he kind of sexually assaulted me. Actually not kind of did sexually assault me. And I kind of don't want to have anything to do with him. Please don't make us sit together. Don't force us into a room together. Don't treat us like we're a unit because we ain't. Oh, this so bums me out. You know why? You know, why I wanted to talk to you. Because I, I, I was going to tell you this could be a good omen because, you, you know, it's obviously for you it was a bad omen. Like the next time you're on a date with somebody and you guys get robbed at gunpoint, don't 
No second dates with that guy. Bad omen for you. But early in my relationship with Terry, when we'd been dating for just, I think, a month or two or less, he was listening to my... I had a radio show in Seattle at the time. He was listening to Uh me on the radio show working at the video store he worked at when somebody walked in and pointed a gun in his face and robbed him, including marched him to the back of the video store and made him stand against facing a wall. And he thought he was going to be shot (laughs) listening to me blather about sex. And then, you know, we kind of bonded over that. Like, he was really traumatized, and I took care of him, and it brought us closer together. It sort of rapidly escalated the pace of us becoming who we are, bonding. And yeah. I thought, oh, maybe what happened to us is going to happen for you. But no, no, it's not going to happen for you. Because this guy, this guy is a pile of shit. I, yeah, so a bad experience on top of another bad one. Um, but I've, I've gone on other dates since then. We did not get robbed at gunpoint and I have gone on a couple really good dates with somebody else. And so it hasn't been <laughs> horrible, but somebody from the kiss first obtained consent, maybe even before the kiss certainly obtained consent before the hands down the pants and preferring of orgasms, that kind of guy, a better kind of guy. Yeah. Yeah. A, a way better kind of guy. <laughs> But no, you know, having, I don't know, having that happen, I definitely think it made me feel a little more comfortable with him sooner than normal, you know, because we were both shaken up and it was kind of nice to have somebody else that you were scared with to hang out with after that. But yeah, not good. And I don't know his explanation. I'm just going to go with you keep saying he's a creeper and he is. So we'll, we'll stick with that one. But, you know, it has made me question a little bit just. <laughs> just what happened and what he did and ugh. you know a bad thing happened to somebody that you were dating that you're on a date with who was you had already by being on dint of being on a date with him you given the benefit of the doubt and assumed he was a good person until he demonstrated otherwise but sometimes bad things happen to bad people <laughs> rather than okay. <laughs> happen to a good person like we all sit around scratching our chins wondering why bad things happen to good people but you know not that anyone deserves to be hit in the head with a gun. Not that anyone deserves to be robbed at gunpoint. This guy, however, deserves a figurative smack upside the head and needs to get himself into some sort of counseling for the trauma, if it's related to the trauma, uh, but for this also, or in addition to, if this kind of gropey behavior is trauma-induced, which I don't believe. I asked him because I, you know, he has been going to therapy for that. And I did ask him, I was like, have you, did you talk about, you know, what you did? And I don't know if I believe him because he was just like, yeah, I have. And I was like, well, what did the therapist say? And they're just like, oh, just apologize. I'm sorry. I'm glad you're dating somebody. Else. <laughs> I'm glad you've had a better date. I'm glad you had a better kiss since then. And I'm sorry that what worked out so well for me didn't work out at all for you. <laughs> did not work out well for me no no good luck all right thank you and now here's the comedy set that the brilliant emily galati performed at our live show at the barrymore theater in madison wisconsin we are going to now present you with a comedian a stand-up comic joining us from chicago recently seen last week on conan o'brien show on tbs please welcome to the stage emily galati Uh, it's good to be here. I just turned I just turned 31 recently. Thank you. 
Yeah, it's it's thirty one. It's thirty one and nine months if you're pro life. Uh, yeah, nice. Yeah, I'm a Virgo in California. I'm a Capricorn in Texas. Things are very confusing on Match.com. <laughs> just, what's your sign? It depends on how you vote, actually. <laughs> this is what I've been doing for fun lately. For fun, I've been going into Hobby Lobby just to pop a birth control. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it gets awkward because it is a new ring. Uh, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're always like, ma'am, you're not supposed to take NuvaRing daily. <laughs> okay, suddenly you're the birth control expert Hobby Lobby? I don't, I don't think so. Like, you have any idea how hard it is to swallow a NuvaRing? <laughs> you don't. You're a corporation, right? Swallowing and birth control, those are both female things. Maybe leave that to us, right? And if you really think about it, swallowing is birth control, so. <laughs> some of us got it. I feel like some of us are still confused. That's okay. We'll explain, I guess, for the married couples. I don't know. Here we go. Uh, second part, blowjob joke for sure. Holy shit, that's what that was, yeah. First part, Hobby Lobby Supreme Court case. Women's rights, whatever, right, man? If you're missing the blowjob joke, you're spending too much time in Hobby Lobby. I think that's a fact. Put down the yarn. Go get a blowjob. It's way more fun than knitting. Even on my end, which is how boring knitting is. So This is what happened. If you don't know, Hobby Lobby, they're a Christian-owned corporation. They said they couldn't give birth control to their employees because birth control was against their religion. And I went, really? Are you, are you serious? Like, seriously? Seriously? I mean, because... Uh, not getting pregnant is the only thing I pray about. <laughs> right? Yeah, I go to church on Christmas and Easter and weeks I'm late. That's it. Yeah. They're like, you take the pill, you're going to hell. Well, that sounds way better than watching Frozen 2,000 times. <laughs> yeah. I'll take hell. Why can't your kid watch Shawshank? <laughs> I don't believe in abstinence, you guys. I don't, but it is my favorite Christian argument. I love it anytime. They're like, hey, stay a virgin. You'll never get pregnant. Uh, that is inaccurate. Isn't it Christians, right? They're just... They're like, it's 100% effective. Well, then someone's rounding up, okay? <laughs> yeah. Abstinence fails, and when it fails, it's called Christmas. <laughs> we exchange gifts on Abstinence Failure Day, so... Virgin Mary was the puzzle piece, if you didn't get that. 
I support gay marriage. I always have. I don't care who you marry. Thank you. As long as it's not one of my ex-boyfriends. They all have to get married after me. Other than that, I don't care what you do with your life. <laughs> I also don't understand the counter-argument where they're like, it's about traditional marriage or like traditional relationships. I don't know what that is. I just know that <laughs> traditionally when any two people love each other, traditionally they break up. <laughs> all right? Because if you like it, put a ring on it. But if you love it, crush its soul so it can never love again. <laughs> Traditional relationship, right? Just, just me? No, I don't. I went through a pretty bad breakup last year, so that's where that came from. Uh, let's talk about it. Okay, here we go. Uh, <laughs> this is what happened. We were living together. He moved out, then he waited till I went out of town snuck back into the apartment and stole the internet modem. Yeah. Dude, just take a pair of my panties like a normal crazy ex-boyfriend. Who steals a modem? I didn't know I had one until he stole it. What is wrong with him? I didn't know what to do, so I called the cops, and they were like, we don't care. Yeah. They're like, you realize there are people being murdered? And I said, I do realize that. I'm calling to ask if I can have one of their modems. <laughs> For two weeks, you guys, I couldn't get internet. Two whole weeks, I spent every day on the phone with Comcast. I was like, hey, I need internet. And they were like, technically, you have internet at your apartment. Like, okay, Comcast. Uh, then I'm going to need more internet. <laughs> and they're like, but you have internet. No. No, I do not. Your internet, it comes to my wall. I need to get it out of my wall. And they're like, have you tried turning your wall off and turning it back on again? They're like, is it some sort of weird firewall you can't get by? She said, maybe you have some sort of crazy porn virus. I was like, I do have a porn virus. It took my goddamn modem. That was about a year ago. I changed the locks after that. Uh, this creepy thing happened about a month ago. I opened my refrigerator door and I found a plate of ribs that were not mine. Yeah, and I live alone, so what the fuck? There was no sign of break-in or cookout. So I didn't know what to tell the cops this time. I just had to be like, yeah, I think I need to report a delivery. Or someone forgot to murder me. I don't care <laughs> what you write down. Come protect me. Scariest thing actually came from my friend Katie. She's like, Emily, you shouldn't go to a bar, get blackout drunk, bring a guy home, and those are his ribs? Really? That's the, that's the plausible explanation? Your brain went with right away that I went to a bar, got roofied, brought him back to my place, where he probably roofied me three to four more times as he slow-cooked ribs for 16 hours. <laughs> right? Then cleaned up after himself and then just skipped off into the night. Like I wouldn't have married him. Really, Katie? That's where your brain went? I was like, someone was in my house and they put ribs in my fridge. And her response was, oh my God, Emily. Ew. You're a slut. Yeah, you blew famous Dave, so. <laughs> Sweet baby Ray is more my style, semantics, whatever.
<laughs> I read this article in the paper the other day about this guy in Montana. Uh, he was being attacked by a grizzly bear. And to escape, he just repeatedly shoved his arm down the back of the bear's throat. Like, oh, my God. So men just have an urge to that to everything. Right? I read that article. I was like, I know exactly how that bear feels. Um, lucky bear it got away. I bet he grabbed the back of the bear's head when he did it, too. He was just like, it's my birthday. You're going to love it. Here's what's going to happen if I get a chance. I'm going to vote for a woman. Yeah, put a woman in the White House. Try chicks out for a while. Thank you. Yeah, why not try chicks out? Why? Because everyone experiments in electoral college. Right? How do you know you really like men if you don't try out women? You don't. It's four years, exactly like college. If you don't like it, go back to dudes and be like, I was just finding myself. This is one drunken Tuesday in November. Maybe you find out you like it. Cool. I don't care. <laughs> Some people tell this all the time, can't put a woman in the White House, we're going to go to war just because she's on her period. Awful joke, but probably the most legitimate reason this country's gone to war in decades. Huh? Yeah. At least periods are real, so. <laughs> I support Planned Parenthood, you guys. I'm with Planned Parenthood like a hundred and 10%. Thank you. Yeah. I know Republicans want to shut it down. Like, we got to end Planned Parenthood. I'm like, really? Still growing and showing signs of life. Because Republicans can't directly outlaw abortion. What they end up trying to do is pass a bunch of crazy laws, making it more difficult for women to get them. Come up with some stupid ones. Arizona passed one stating life begins two weeks before conception. What? <laughs> so I could be pregnant now. And in two weeks, I'll meet the father? What? I'll have to remember to walk down the, ni the nice alleys. Oh. What do you say? Just you guys go ahead and take that bus home. I'm just going to pass out on this Ferrari. What? I'll know it's love if it's not least. How do you hit on a guy in a bar if that's a current situation? What do you say to him? Like, hey, you're already two weeks behind on child support. What? It's nice to meet you. I'm pregnant. It's probably yours. Yeah. You should buy me a water. I said that joke on stage at a bar show in Chicago, and afterwards a guy came up to me and handed me a hanger. Yep. Super offensive, like the most offensive thing ever, until I tell you it was a wooden hanger, because then it's just confusing. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, you're going to have to draw a vagina so I know where you think a wooden hanger fits. <laughs> what am I supposed to do with a wooden hanger? Beat the stork when it comes? The worst part about it was he was the bouncer at the bar, and I was like, sir, you're supposed to be an expert at getting people out. <laughs> I got mad. I was real pissed off at him. I actually threw the hanger down the hallway, and I was like in his face yelling. I'm like, what the fuck is your problem? He's like, whoa, you need to calm down right now. You're being too emotional. What are you, on your period or something? Oh, my God. Ah. 
then I wouldn't need the hanger. What? How did you miss every day of sex ed? Before this last part, I want to remind you that you've already laughed at this subject, so don't be hypocrites. Like I said, because Republicans can't outlaw abortion, they try to pass a bunch of laws making it more difficult for women to get them. They put up roadblocks. I don't think they've thought that through. Because let's be honest, if you make it, so I have to drive six hours to find a Planned Parenthood, and once I get there, I go, hey, I'd like an abortion. And they go, okay. But you actually have to go home and think about it for 72 hours. So I drive home, drive back, and when I get back, I'm then forced to get a transvaginal ultrasound, listen to a heartbeat, sit through a lecture about adoption, read a pamphlet that includes medically inaccurate information, go through mental health screening, and then generally get talked down to about a procedure I asked to be had done three days ago? Yeah. I'm gonna want to fucking kill someone. (laughs) All right. That's it for me, you guys. Thank you so much. Emily Galati. Hey, Dan. Um, Midwestern girl, 30 years old. I'm having a problem with the fact that the new guys that I've been seeing are having a problem with my tiny little teacup dog being on the bed or in the bedroom during sex. It's not like the dog's been involved at all, but he, I mean, will sniff around or, like, in the middle of, like, changing situations, maybe try to, like, give me a kiss and I'll just, like, rub him off, whatever. But, uh, or brush him off, I guess is a better way to say it. But I just don't understand what guy's insecurity or, like, what the distraction is of having a dog watching or even a cat or whatever. Um, maybe you can help answer this? I was with you until the dog moved in for a sniff or a kiss, or to be rubbed off mid-act. Yeah, I'm with your boyfriend. I don't think this is about male insecurity in the way men are. Men are the only kind of people that you have sex with. I think if you were fucking men and women or fucking women, that you would be getting the same sort of response from your female partners. Like, can we please put the dog outside the room and close the fucking door? Because I don't want your dog's cold wet nose sniffing around my taint when i'm balls deep in you how about that ew but i say this i have a bias i'm just gonna throw it on the table i'm kind of not a dog person despite living in a house with two dogs a giant one and a tiny one who are not in the room for all sorts of good reasons when we're balls deep in things so yeah You may be able to incorporate seamlessly and compartmentalize seamlessly sex play and dog kisses, but it's probably not something your sex partner can do as deftly. So out of consideration to the most important person in the room when you're having sex besides you, your sex partner, which is not your dog, you will put the dog out the room. If your dog whines when it's put out the room, and you can have your dog put down. Hi, Dan. I'm a 20-year-old straight girl in England. I've had sex with multiple partners and masturbated for a long time, and it always been enjoyable, but I'd never orgasmed until I had sex with my current boyfriend. When we were first together, he ate me out a lot, and that was the only way I finished, and it was the first way I'd ever finished. Uh, we've been together eight months now, and after a week of us having PIV, I started orgasming that way. But now... 
I can't when he eats me out. I still can't make myself orgasm when I'm masturbating, and I'm worried because we are going to be long distance now and won't see each other more than once a month. When together we had sex once or twice a day for the full seven months we were together. We decided to be open, which we were at the beginning of our relationship, um, but since no one else has ever made me orgasm, I'm not sure if I'll be able to. Um, when previous partners asked me if I had finished, I always lied and said I did because I, I didn't think I ever would and I was embarrassed that I hadn't. Um, I'm not really sure what my question is, but do you have any suggestions going out about openness and having sex with new people and, I don't know, orgasm in general? You say that prior to this boyfriend getting you off first orally and then PIV, that you masturbated but you never came and I don't want to see the tape. I don't want you to send me video. But I wonder how you were masturbating and with what intensity and with what expectation. Because clearly you require a certain degree of intensity of stimulation. If you were masturbating in the way you thought girls or women typically masturbate or are supposed to masturbate, were you providing yourself with the kind of stim and the intensity and the duration of the kind of stim that he provided you with when he was not just eating you out, but also then fucking you and not just providing you with pleasure, but taking his pleasure from you. And psychologically, maybe that is part of what gave you the boost. Psychologically, maybe that's part of what put you over the edge. Some people need not just the physical, but that emotional aspect, that erotic aspect, the engagement of the sex organ between your ears as well. I would encourage you to attempt in his absence or long distance to have Skype sex with him and incorporate a dildo. Fuck the shit out of yourself while you masturbate. Fuck the shit out of yourself while you dirty talk with him and masturbate together and attempt to recreate on your own the same sensations, the same duration, the same intensity that he with his magic dick in the room was able to create for you. And also do that on your own. Do that when you're not Skyping. And instead of masturbating the way that you thought maybe you could or should be able to come, the way your girlfriends told you that they masturbated or the way you, you know, whatever sex education that you had growing up or whatever manuals you read implied that should work for you because that's the kind of masturbation technique that works for others, set all that aside and go at yourself. Go at yourself and, and take your time. Get a dildo, get a vibrator, and go for it. And lean in, as somebody might have said if they had written a sex manual instead of a workplace manual. Lean into it. Take your time. And paradoxically, don't make climaxing necessarily your goal. Because if you're focused on that goal, instead of focusing on and relaxing into the pleasure and, and enjoying the moment – you may chase it away. I think one of the reasons you were probably able to climax with this guy is because after years of not climaxing, you weren't expecting to climax. And then it was with him this thing, this place that you got to unexpectedly and you were completely relaxed because you weren't sort of goal-focused at that moment. So don't make the mistake now of becoming goal-focused again even though I gave you a lot of goal-focused advice about how to get to that orgasm. But you should take that advice, take those tools, recreate those sensations, masturbate with him with the goal of pleasure, with the goal of connection, whether you're connecting with him online or whether you're connecting with yourself and your own body and your own hand and your own sex toys 
in that moment and just relax and enjoy. As for others and how to tell them, you don't have to present the rareness with which you climax with a partner is some sort of broken toy problem. You're not a broken toy. You can have great sex and enjoy it and enjoy the physical contact and enjoy the intimacy without climaxing, whether you're a man or a woman. You can do all those things without climaxing. So if you have a partner who's really invested in you coming, you just say to that guy, coming for me with a partner or a new partner is pretty rare. I really enjoy sex. Please don't bully me or push me or obsess about it. Let's just do this and enjoy it. And if I get closer, I feel like we can get there. I'll say something. Take the pressure off yourself in the moment with those others. The pressure to lie, but also the pressure to climax. And who knows? Then with your expectations modified and with their expectations tamped down, you may again find yourself relaxing into it enough to unexpectedly arrive at the destination you hope to arrive at all along. And we're going to leave it there. 206-302-2064 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you want to record a question or a comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-302-2064. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow the fucking hilarious and smart and hilarious Emily Galati on Twitter at Emily Galati. That's Galati with one the Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech-savvy at-risk youth and Nancy. We will all be back at you next week with another installment of The Savage Lovecast. Thanks for having